we're in the process of going through the stories in the lineage of Jesus. And we've made our way from Adam, and now we're down to Abram. And, and Abram is a story that begins in the context of his family tree. Genesis chapter 11 tells the story of Shem and all of his children. And it says, when they were 30 years old or 37 years old or 32 years old, they had a son. And then they lived for another 200 years, another 140 years or whatever the number was. And then it comes to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27. Turn there with me. We're going to be in Genesis 11 and Genesis 12. So open your Bibles and we'll read together. This one's from the New Living Translation. It says, this is the account of Terah's family. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. But Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, the land of his birth, while his father Terah was still living. Meanwhile, Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Milcah and her sister Iscah were both daughters of Nahor's brother Haran, but Sarai was unable to become pregnant and had no children. One day, Terah took his son Abram, his daughter-in-law Sarah, that's his son Abram's wife, and his grandson Lot, his son Haran's child, and moved away from Ur of the Chaldeans. He was headed for the land of Canaan, but they stopped at Haran and settled there. Terah lived for another 205 years and died while still living in Haran. Here's a, a little picture of the family tree that we're talking about. And you can see um, where Terah was. And I just wanted to point out something interesting. Terah may very well have known Noah. Noah was still alive. And Shem was alive until, I think, 35 years after Abram died. Uh, he was uh, around during Abram's time. So uh, Terah's children may well have known Noah and Shem. At the creation of the world, God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the implication is to fill the earth with God's glory and his knowledge. And then things kind of got sideways, and God had to repeat that command to, to Noah and his children. And so Noah and Shem all heard that, uh, that call, go into all the earth. But as we found out last time we were talking about these stories, when we looked at the story of the boy Peleg, you remember his name means division, and it was when he was born that God divided the languages, or divided the earth by various languages, confusing their languages, so that they couldn't just all cloister together in one place, and they ended up spreading out again following God's command. Well, Terah, Terah, this is years after uh, Babel and that whole experience, and yet he is still following God's command to go, and he's taking God's knowledge and God's glory to the land of Canaan. We don't know why. The Bible doesn't really tell us, but for some reason he stopped at Haran, and he stayed there until he died. But it wasn't very long after they stopped at Haran, maybe a few years, and God renewed his call to go. But this time he asked specifically Abram to go. And we can find that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. So 
Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. I don't know exactly what was going on. The Bible doesn't give us enough detail. Some would suggest that Abram had no idea where he was going, uh, but Terah was headed to Canaan, and when God said go, Abram packed up his stuff and headed to Canaan, the same place his father had been heading. When I hear this, this phrase that God says, go to a land that I will show you, I think that there's a built-in promise. It has less to do with the idea that Abram doesn't know where he's going and more to do with the idea that God is promising that he's going to be with him all the way and that he'll actually show him the land, that it is going to happen. It's not just a maybe, it's going to be there. It's a promise. Go to the land that I will show you. Will God take us all the way to the place or the mission that he calls us to? And will he be with us all along the way? I think that's a, a, a piece of the story we sometimes overlook. It's not so much about, I have no idea what to do, and more about God is the God who's called, and God is the God who's going to take me there. It will happen if God has called it. There's an interesting prophecy that helps us understand why God takes Abram and his family to Canaan. It's found in Genesis chapter 15, and it's a prophecy that, that promises that Israel will be in Canaan, but there's a delay. Let's read it together in verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And then he keeps going and he says, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That last phrase kind of opens up the mind of God. The iniquity of the Amorites and the other Canaanites is not yet complete. Why does God send Abram to Canaan? Because Abram is a missionary. Missionaries are called to go to places that don't know God. And in this place, there's a group of people that don't know God. And so Abram is called just like Adam was called and Seth, and Noah, and Shem, and Arphaxad, and all the others down through the line, and Terah, his father, Noah was called to take the glory of God into the world and let them know about the God of creation and the God of the rainbow promise. God sent him as a witness, and as a witness, he started to do things. He, he set up an altar. Everywhere he went, he set up an altar, and as he set up that altar, he didn't just offer sacrifices to God, but he lived a life that demonstrated the kind of God that he served. He was kind. He was generous. He was trustworthy. He was the kind of guy that would go help people in need, ended up fighting uh, when, when some women and children got stolen with a bunch of goods from Sodom and Gomorrah and uh, several other cities. He went and defeated their enemies, took back their stuff, and he, he didn't even demand any of it as spoils of war. He just gave it back to them. When the time came and his family had grown too big, he brought Lot with him, and the Bible says he had 300 fighting men. Uh, that would be somewhere in, in the age of 
20 to, well, not too old to carry a sword. And so probably he had some thousand people with him in his camp at one point. And when it got too big, he gave the best of the land to his relatives, to Lot and his family. He was generous and kind and faithful. And everywhere he went, people would see his unselfishness and they would see a living testimony of this God of creation and this God of the rainbow promise. In Genesis 12, 8, we read that Abram traveled south and set up camp in the hill country with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east. There he built another altar and dedicated it to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. I think that when people saw Abram's altar, they knew that it was an altar to the God of heaven, the God of creation and the God of that rainbow promise, but they also knew it was the God of Abraham, a noble witness for God. There's, there's something that's going on because we know that just 400 years or so later, maybe a little bit more, the Canaanites had filled up the cup of their, I don't know, iniquity, right? And their probation was over. The Israelites came back and God began to drive out the Canaanites in front of them. And during this probationary period of time, God wanted Abram to be a witness He wanted them to have every opportunity to accept Jesus, to accept the God of heaven. I believe that God has called you and me to be missionaries too. I believe that during this probationary time, before Jesus' second coming, the promise of his return, God has invited us to build altars of witness for God. Recently, our church Uh, went through a visioning process, and we developed a strategic plan. Uh, This process has gone through um, uh, prayer the whole church was involved with. It's gone through our elders team and our our board, and we formed a a dream team, a vision dream team that prayed over this even more. We edited it and uh, uh, prayed even more over it and edited it again, and it came to a a business meeting just a couple weeks ago. And we said, yes, God is calling us in this direction. And some of these initiatives, they they don't include stuff we're already doing. Like we have this amazing community thrift center that's an altar of witness there in the south side of Bonners Ferry. We have a school here on the north end of of, uh, the county, and, and it's a witness for God. And we have this church. It's a witness for God, a kind of an altar to the God of creation and the God of the second coming promise. But I I believe he's calling us to set up some more altars. We've looked at this and we've said, we believe that God is calling us to be a praying, Bible-reading, discipling community. We we said that we believe God is calling us to prepare to become a multi-teacher school. Uh, We don't know when that might happen, but he's asking us to do the groundwork and let him open those doors. Um, We believe that God's calling us into the mission field beyond Boundary County, especially with our youth. We believe that God is calling us to do public evangelism and even to host a life-size tabernacle experience sometime where people can come and explore the precious truths about the sanctuary and how they point to Jesus and his soon return. We believe that God is calling us to prepare a facility that will expand our missional effectiveness. And we believe that God is calling us to start a mission-driven family medical clinic that's a pretty big deal. God is doing something in our midst. He's calling us, like he called Abraham, 
to go and to be a witness in the country during a time of probation to a people that didn't yet know the God of creation and the God of the rainbow promise. And God is calling us to have that same kind of witness in a probationary period of time to tell the people about the God of creation and the God of the second coming promise. Do you know that's built into our name, right? Seventh day is about the God of creation. And Adventist is about the God of the second coming promise. This is the witness that God has called us to, to take to the world. And I believe that in this vision, God is he's moving us. He's moving us past our history and into his planned future. He's moving us just a little bit closer to his plan for how this church should take that gospel message. When this church was started back in the 1930s, it, we could go back even farther to the 1890s, uh, a small little group started the church, and then it was kind of a, led by one family, and when the leader of that family ended up getting sick, he moved away and the church collapsed. An evangelist came back and a, a small group of people again came and started this church. And that, that's a, a beautiful experience, um, but its effectiveness and missional reach is limited by the number of people and the skills that are available in that group. And as this church has grown, our skills have grown and our reach into the community has grown, and it's exciting to see how God has been leading. But as we've grown, it's moved from a family-led church to kind of a personality-led church. The leaders of the church, maybe the elders, the board, the pastor, um, there, there's a, a personality focus often when it comes to a church of our size. And we kind of let those people do the thing. They, they say, what is it, 20% of the church does 80% of the missionary impact, right? I think God is calling us to something a little bit deeper, a little bit more involved. I think God is calling us to be a mission-driven church. A mission-driven church is a church whose members have embraced a mission from God, like Abram going to Canaan, and individually have committed to serve him and to unite together to accomplish God's purposes. A mission-driven church isn't led by a personality or a pastor or a matriarch or patriarch or an elder. A mission-driven church is led by Jesus Christ and the mission that he's given us. If somebody passes away or something changes with leadership, it doesn't change the mission of a mission-driven church because the mission is what guides the individuals. And together, we accomplish God's purposes. When Abram moved his family across the country from Haran to Canaan, it was an all-hands-on-deck kind of experience. From the littlest children to the oldest people that were there, they all pitched in to help. They carried something, they uh, walked along, they led the, the oxen or the sheep or whatever it was. Everybody had a part to play. And I believe that that's what's God, what God is inviting us into as we take this mission and start to walk towards the land that God will show us, towards the mission that God will bring us to accomplish. God called Abram to be this witness to the Canaanites during a probationary period of time, and he set up these altars of witness. And we've got some altars already. We've got the school, we've got the thrift store, we've got this building, but, but I think there's more in this uh, that God wants us to do. There's that 
the, the, the new radio station. That's an altar of witness. Every time somebody turns on the radio, they can hear about the God of creation and the God of the second coming promise. Every time they drive by our school or drop their kids off, they can be reminded of the God that we are witnessing about. Every time they come to the thrift store, they can interact with us. And as we pray with them and as they see prayers answered, they are reminded that God is real. And God's also calling us to establish some new ones. Um, Maybe this new building project that he's having us explore. Maybe that will be another expanded altar of witness for God. Do you remember that a that, uh, few weeks ago we were looking at the idea of purchasing a piece of property and building a clinic just across or beside the school? And we prayed about that, and we believed that God was leading us in that direction, and some exciting things started to be put in place. Um, a team began to be formed, and it was really thrilling. And then God said no. And it wasn't just no um, or maybe, it was a hard no. February 17, they closed and that property sold to another buyer. And, and it can be maybe a little bit disconcerting when things change, when the direction that we're going ends up not being the place that we should be going. But didn't God say to the land that I will show you? If God's mission is for us to to go in a direction, then he'll direct our steps along the way so that we can get to the place that he wants us to be. So just uh, two weeks ago on Friday, a group of us, maybe five or six of us, met down at a vacant building in downtown Bonners Ferry, just across the street from City Hall, and we began to dream. 10,000 square feet, three stories. We, We dreamed of a a clinic right there in downtown with a beautiful parking area behind it. We, we dreamed of a meeting space where we could hold events and do training and uh, have uh, Bible studies and small groups. Uh, we dreamed of even wild stuff that's beyond what we have in our strategic plan, like maybe an after-school program that teaches STEAM subjects, you know, science, technology, engineering, art, and math, um, with a a goal of drawing kids to Jesus. Who knows what God might have us do there? In fact, we don't even know if it's God's vision. But what we do know is that it seems like God is changing our direction just a little bit. Do you remember when we planned, not on a radio station, but having the programs, uh, maybe the, the Sabbath service here broadcast on the local radio station? That was our dream. And then God gave us a radio station, not just an hour a week, but 24-7, seven days a week, we have a radio station broadcasting as a, an altar of witness to God. Maybe God's doing something similar to that when we're talking about this clinic. We have this in mind, and he has this in mind. We don't know what his plans are. I don't know the future. Uh, but I wonder if our plan was to bring people up to the church so that they'd come in and engage with our church family and, and become part of our family. What if God's plan is that instead of bringing people to the church, we bring the church to them? Well, what if God wants us to go 
and be in the community. I can't think of a better way to reach people for Christ, to be a witness to a larger group of people in this community than to minister to them in some of the most significant needs of their lives, their felt present needs when they get sick, when there's a problem, when there's something they don't know how to handle, and we minister to their needs. That's the moment, like Jesus, when he healed people, that people are vulnerable and willing to be led spiritually. It's when we care about people when they're truly hurting that we can show them Jesus and his love. I don't know the future. I don't know the contours of the land that God will show us, but he said that he will show us. And when he's called us to go, he will be with us all along the way. Joel, would you come up here? You're, I'm going to ask Joel to help me. There's a, a mic there on the floor. Speaking of God's leading, check and make sure it's on. Yep, you're good. Speaking of God's leading, we have some news to announce. For the past six months, God's been orchestrating a transition in the Wharf family. And back in October, I was given a call to go to uh, interview at a church in the Oregon Conference. And within two weeks, I had received two more calls to different places in another conference. On top of that, our conference, the Upper Columbia Conference, called me and said, please don't take any of those calls. God has plans for you here. <laughs> and uh, as we prayed about it and we talked to counselors and we studied and explored, um, we came to the conclusion that God was not calling us to go to those places. And so many things had just started at the time. We had just started the radio station, a new Sabbath school class for Joel, a, a new school year for the kids, a vision process for this church, a building plan, new Bible studies, and so many other things. We were feeling really unsure because that's such an abnormal circumstance for three phone calls like that in a two-week period. And it really seemed like God was trying to say something, and yet all of these new things were starting. And so we felt really unsure, and we were praying a lot. And one of the new things that had started, Jason mentioned, was um, I had started a new Bible study class. We were doing inductive Bible study. And the first thing that we started with was Psalm 139. And this is the passage that says, um, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. I think it's supposed to be up there. Is it up there? There. Nope. So um, a few verses after that, it says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? And, you know, as we were considering these three calls, I have to say that my personal preference is to never move, ever, anywhere. I just want to be right here. My dad was a pastor. We moved a lot. I married a literature evangelist. We moved even more. Lord, just please leave me in one space. That's what I want to say. Um, but this psalm that we were, I was immersed in at that time was reassuring me that God would search out my path. And when you look up the word search in Hebrew, in many of the other locations that that Hebrew word is used, it's translated things like scatter or winnow. It, it's the word for when they're winnowing the wheat. They're blowing away the chaff and they're keeping the wheat that remains. And this is the word that's used there and is translated search. 
And I took that to mean a promise that God was going to sift through all of those options, winnow away the ones, the paths we should not follow, and help us to follow the path that he wanted us to follow. So I took it as a promise that God would search out my path and that wherever that was, because of course I want to just be here, but wherever that was that I could not go away from his spirit, he would be with me wherever wherever he was calling. And so um, back in October when those three calls came in, I was praying that God would give me a willing heart to go or to stay as he wanted and not as I wanted. And what I heard in that study, it was very clear to me that God was saying, not yet, but get ready. So with that clarity, we turned down all of those invitations and we refocused on our work here. And then in January, the um, Upper Columbia Conference called Jason and he asked him and asked him to interview with a church board elsewhere in our own conference. And because of what had happened in October and that experience that I'd had with the Lord and feeling like God was preparing us for a change, we agreed. We wanted to be open to the Lord's leading. And but it was confusing because so much was going on and this visioning process was was well underway. So how could God really want us to go if so much was happening here? So we did a lot of praying, and we especially had to remind ourselves, okay, how are we going to know what the will of God is? How are we going to figure that out? So in the fifth volume of the Testimonies, page 512, if you want a short version of that, it's 5T512, really good way to remember how to know God's will for your life. Ellen White describes three ways that God leads us, and he shows us his will. The first is through the, his revealed will in the Bible. The second is through the providential leading of the Holy Spirit. And the third is through the Spirit's impressions on our hearts. And, and if you read in the Bible, you'll find um, places that say things like, in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom. And you find examples of God's providential leadings as he gives indicators, signs, uh, speaks to people, and he directs them through his um, divine hand. It's important to recognize that these, they stack on top of each other. First is the scriptures. If God has said no in scripture, then no moving of providence, some miracle or some voice in your head should lead you to disregard God's word. And if God said, yes, do this in his word, then no impression otherwise should lead you against God's word. Uh, But let's say an opportunity is perfectly in line with God's word, then you need to pray, God, please direct me through your divine hand. Open and close doors and give me clear signs so that I know this is your will. And if the invitation is in line with God's word and the path is wide open, you still need to be following Jesus and open to the Holy Spirit, impressing your heart to say go or stay, yes or no. So we don't have time to tell the entire story, but let me um, say that God's leading, the evidence of that has been really consistent and really clear. Um, As we prayed, here's a few of the little things that we noticed. Um, The very same week as the interview in January, 
God managed to bring me back to my study notes from October on the Psalm 139 to remind me what he'd been showing me. You should ask her what that story is afterwards. <laughs> and we found out that Jason's name had been on the conferences list for this church, and that church separately had come up with his name on their own. And um, though they interviewed two candidates, the whole board, which is a large board, voted unanimously to invite us for a second interview. And then when we were given the date of that second interview, Jason looked at his sermon calendar. The, the date was last Sabbath. Last Sabbath. And he looked at his sermon calendar, which he created in December, far in advance of all of this. And he noticed that the topic he planned to preach on today was Abraham's call to go. And we thought, what? What is the Lord doing all the way back in December? Um, and even our counselors, the, the people that we sought out for advice, in October they gave us one set of advice, and in January they gave us a different set of advice. And it just, God's leading was so consistent. Everything was so clear. All the indicators pointed one direction for us to encourage, to encourage us um, to pursue this. Last Sabbath, we traveled to the Pasco Riverview Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we interviewed. I did a, preached a sermon, and afterwards, they got to grill me um, in the afternoon, uh, just like you guys did <laughs> almost four years ago. And um, there was a whole slew of answered prayers that weekend, mm -hmm. a bunch of other indicators, and ultimately, they asked us um, unanimously, which apparently is not a normal thing. Um, uh, the, the guy at the conference who does this, Rodney Mills, said in 53 pastoral interviews, he's had two unanimous votes. And interestingly, talking about prayer, one of our prayer warriors and somebody here in the church who knew about the process was praying that God would throw open the doors wide or slam them shut so that we would know clearly what his will was. And then a unanimous vote to invite us to come. We all believed that God was calling, and so we made the choice and told them that we would be going. While following God always comes with blessings, it is never absent of its challenges. And one of the challenges that we face is the reality that we have to say goodbye to the precious friends that we've made here. And we care a lot about you. Addie tells us that we have to come back on a, on a regular basis to camp and, and hang out with our friends. So you won't get rid of us completely. We have two more months here. Um, we'll be here through the 1st of May. And during that time, my main priority is finishing up with some important Bible studies that we're doing right now. And, uh, and also to help the leaders of the church to transition so that the things that we have, these initiatives that we've started, um, can keep up their momentum. I know the conference is already considering pastoral replacements, and pretty soon they're going to come up and meet with the board and explore what the church needs. And this vision that you've come up with, it, most of these ideas I had nothing to do with. Um, they're, they're visions that God has given you. And this vision will help us or help you define what it is that God needs in a new pastor and another leader. And I, I don't think it's a coincidence 
that God has given us this God-sized vision that's bigger than any one of us could accomplish, certainly bigger than a pastor could accomplish by himself. I don't think it's a coincidence that he's done that and given us this mission to go and called for a change in leadership. And I don't know exactly why that change is happening now or what God's plan is, but I know that if he called us, he will show us the land and he will be with us in the process. Um, Several years ago, if you'd like to stay up here, you can. If you want to sit down, you can. (laughs) Several years ago, I worked for two conferences at once as the Literature Ministries Coordinator, and it was a Southern California and Southeastern California conferences. And if you know anything about the area, Los Angeles all the way down to San Diego and all the way out to the the desert, um, halfway to, no, all the way to Arizona, (laughs) Um, that, that was the territory that I had to cover. And I had student literature evangelists and full-time literature evangelists and Bible workers. And let's just say that it was a huge territory, 24 million people. And I couldn't do the work by myself. And I knew I couldn't. And when God put me there, he gave me a vision to, to, to build up the work so that both conferences would have to, to accept the reality that they needed to individually invest in a literature ministries director and fund a department all on their own. I had a five-year plan. And I started by putting together a board of directors in each conference and several other things that would help to set the groundwork so it would be easy to make that transition and we could hire somebody in the other conference and I could step aside and just work in the one conference. I had a five-year goal and then God called me away two years later. And I was confused. Why are you calling me away, God? It's, it's going well. Everything's great. Why is it that you're calling me away? I've got this plan Will it fall flat? Will the work that I've done collapse and crumble and not be worth anything? Within six months of me going away, the conferences had fully funded independent literature ministries departments. By that next year, their impact in literature evangelism had doubled what I was able to do the year before. And within the five-year plan, it had quadrupled in its impact. I could never have accomplished that. I don't know if it was God moving me away that got, shook things up enough for the conferences to be like, oh, we need to do this and really fully invest or maybe something else. I don't know how God works, but I do know that when he gives a vision that he will take us where he wants us to go and he will be with us in that process. God's work is not dependent on any one person. And I think this is one of the things that we need to learn and fully embrace as a church family, that God's mission is my mission. It's your mission. And when we accept that, when we fully commit to that, then it's like Gideon's 300 men, right? It's not so much about Gideon and his 300 men as it is about God but God needs Gideon's 300 men to say yes, and we'll go into the battle, and we'll step into the mission. And when we step into the mission, God is the one who gets the glory. No leader, no person, but God alone can be given the glory when he accomplishes his mission. This question is something that I'd like you to think about. How can I participate in the vision that God has given this church? How can I be part of God's mission? That's a mission-driven church, when each one of us says, how can I be part of God's mission? Sometimes we wait 
I, I advanced the slide too quick. Don't read that yet. <laughs> Sometimes we wait around. Like, God will call me uh, when the nominating committee gives me a call and asks me to do something. And then sometimes we get a call from the nominating committee and we're like, no, that's not my skill. Why are you asking me that? I think that God wants us to have a culture here in this church, a culture where everybody from the youngest kid to the oldest adult asks this question of those who are involved in organizing ministry for the church. Are you ready for it? It's four words. It's pretty easy to remember, but I need you to to fully engage your mind. You ready? How can I help? That's important words. When you ask that, then suddenly opportunities come. And I'm just so grateful for all of those who are saying, how can I help? And investing in service for God. Uh, there's a, a little document that was at the, the counter. I don't know if you've got it in your hand or, or not. If you don't, there's more back there or we can print more. But it's a summary of the strategic plan the church has. In the beginning, we have um, some core values and core actions that kind of define where we're going, and we talk about the strategic areas and why we're focusing on them, and then we have specific things that we'd like to accomplish. I'd like you to read through that. Become familiar with it. Make it something that you are really aware of what's going on and what God's plans are, and then ask somebody, how can I help? Maybe there's a specific area in there that you feel God is calling you to. Don't be shy. It doesn't matter if you have zero skill in the area, but you feel God is calling you, say, how can I help? I see this vision and I, I want to be a part of it. How can I help? And I think that when we all together say, yes, this is God's calling, let's go for it, just like Abram and all of his family that packed up their stuff and moved to Canaan, God will show us the land. He will show us the mission field and he will show us the fruit of our labor. Now, while, while Abram journeyed to Canaan, Hebrews 11 describes that he wasn't just looking for Canaan. And I think that that's our reality too. We could build a clinic, uh, start a new ministry, remodel or build a church or whatever it is that God's calling us to do. And that is temporary, probationary, missionary work. But God is calling us to go ultimately to the land that he is building. Here it is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. By faith, Abram went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. It wasn't the place he expected to be. Like, this is, this is a, a place not, not that, that's not my home. It's a temporary dwelling. And so he lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This vision that God has given us, it's a reminder that we're in a probationary period of time where God is building a place for you and me, but he doesn't just want those of us that are in this room to come to heaven. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He even sent missionaries to the Canaanites and to the Ninevites sometime later, right? He sent missionaries to where they, there wasn't a knowledge of God. And I believe God is calling us to be that same kind of missionary, he has prepared a place for you and me, but he wants us to bring lots of people with us. He's prepared a place for them too. And while we have time here, God wants us to do everything in our power to bring people with us, to lead them to Jesus, to be a witness to the God of creation and the God of 
the second coming promise, the God who builds a city for you and me and for everybody out there.